0: You may be surprised to learn that the cross did not become a central symbol of the church until the 4th century. Some say that it never should have become such an important symbol. They usually are reacting to a shame-based theology of the cross, which isn't what we preach and teach at Second Presbyterian Church. However, the cross is central to the story told by the Gospels, and so this Lent we will preach Christ and Him crucified, just as the Apostle Paul said we should do. We've titled our series, Lift High the Cross borrowed from the famous hymn with the same title. We will look at what the cross reveals about us and about God. We will speak of sin. Yes, we will. But speak also of the grace and hope of the cross and how human dignity is encouraged and not destroyed. Give a listen. If you want to hear the prayers and music of the worship surrounding the sermon, find us on YouTube or online at spress.org. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Listen for what new word you can hear from an often heard parable. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the wealth that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant region. And there he squandered his wealth in desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that region and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that region who sent him out to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I'll say to him, His elder son was in the field, and as he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen. For all these years, I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends, but when this son of yours came back who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son. You are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Our other passage is the prayer prayed from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The word of the Lord. The Chapel of the Prodigal sits on the edge of the Montreal College campus. It has its name because of the beautiful fresco on the chancel wall. Ben Long portrays the parable with rich, vibrant colors. He does a remarkable thing. Normally, God is identified with the Father, but Long adds the mother of the sons to the scene. Now, to understand God's love, you can look at both the father and the mother. More to the point, look at the father's arms and the mother's eyes. The father's arms, one raised in praise and the other draped around his son who is in a crumpled heap, physically spent from the weakness of starvation and the journey home, spiritually spent from humiliation and shame. And the son's healing has begun because of the father's embrace. Now, the father's embrace of the son is all that is needed to provide a powerful backdrop in a chapel meant for the proclamation of the gospel. But the betrayal of the parable by long has greater depth when you see the mother as an equal partner. While the father is embracing the younger son, the mother's eyes are fixed on the older son. Her eyes bridge the distance the son has created by standing apart in righteous indignation that this disgrace he refuses to acknowledge as a brother anymore is called a son, is welcomed home, and is going to be honored with a feast. Long beautifully captures the betrayal of God's love in this parable because both sons can't seem to be in the same place at the same time. When one son is near, the other is at a distance. At the moment of reconciliation, there is at the same time a moment of estrangement because reconciliation with the father always has to do with reconciliation with each other. Even when the parent's heart rejoices, it also finds reason to worry. Some of you who are worshiping in this sanctuary or worshiping online know what that is like. It can be a wedding or even a memorial service when a life is to be celebrated and it's time to celebrate. But there is that child or that parent or that sibling or that uncle or cousin who stays away in pout or protest or who comes into the celebration with some judgment or indignation, some grudge. And your heart is divided, both celebrating And longing. That's the life of love, don't you think? I certainly think that is the life of those who follow Jesus. It is the life of the cross, which is hinted at in the fresco as the slaughtered lamb hangs from a T shaped structure attached to the house. The cross is the intersection of the vertical embrace of God's unconditional love and the horizontal work of reconciliation that heals what is broken. Once you understand that about the cross, once you understand that it reveals both the separation of sin and the embrace of reconciliation, you begin to see the cross everywhere. For instance, on my trip to Israel, you knew I was going to say that, didn't you? I told the group I was with that every first sermon written by a preacher after going to Israel is going to have in its body somewhere the words, on my trip to Israel or on my trip to the Holy Land. So why should I be any different? When I was in the Holy Land the past two weeks, it seemed that everywhere I looked, now it could have been because I had this parable in my head and I knew that reconciliation was the theme of this Sunday, but it seemed that everywhere I looked was this contrast between the reconciliation that we celebrate, that we already have, and the reconciliation that still needs to occur. I can offer just one day as an example. On the day I'm thinking of, we went to the spot on the Jordan River where it is thought that Jesus was baptized. I talked about this on Facebook. It is a spot where the river has become little more than a shallow stream. It seems so humble, so small, and yet is the strong dividing line. It's the border between Jordan and Israel, and armed guards are on both sides to make sure that no one crosses it. The relationship between Jordan and Israel is tense, and it needs reconciliation. So people do not cross the shallow river that is the Jordan, yet they enter the river on both sides to be baptized or to remember their baptism in the faith where there is no Jew or Gentile because we're all one in Christ Jesus our Lord. That the division of nations is symbolically and sometimes truly washed away in baptism is something to be celebrated. The same day we went to Bethlehem, the site of Jesus' birth, the place where it is celebrated that God so loved the entire world that he became flesh and lived among us. You may have heard about the fence that was erected to keep Palestinians and Jews separated in Israel. Well, in Bethlehem, it's not a fence, which sounds temporary. It's actually this high, thick, concrete wall meant to last. That is the divide our sin creates. And one longs for the day when that wall is going to come down. Yet, while we were in Bethlehem, we visited Dar al University, which was founded in 2006, a year after the wall was finished. And we heard from the university's president, who was also its founder, Reverend Mitri Rahab, he started that university to expand the intellectual and creative horizons of young Palestinians who are physically restricted to a city with very little green space. The university is Reverend Raheb's strategy for ultimate peace and reconciliation. And at lunch, we saw some of the students sitting around tables, visiting and laughing as students everywhere do. That was a cause for celebration. We ended the day by returning to Jerusalem and we entered a church built in the Garden of Gethsemane, built over a rock where it is thought that Jesus, knowing that he faced arrest and execution, prayed for this cup to be taken from him. Well, this church has 14 domes because 14 nations contributed to its building, making for remarkable acoustics. And mass was being held And we heard this amazing soloist. The song was in Latin, but the stunning beauty of the meditative song was like a prayer for peace. And in hearing it, it was almost as if peace had already come. Every day was like that in Israel. Every day gave us reasons to celebrate God's love and reasons to pray for God to work reconciliation and bridge sinful divide. We call Israel the Holy Land because it served as a geographical canvas for most of the stories of the Bible. However, after the two weeks, I came away with an even stronger conviction that Israel is neither more nor less holy than anywhere else where humans give cause for both gladness and lament. Ed McLeod, the leader of our group, quoted Wendell Berry to us who said, that there are only two kinds of land, sacred and desecrated. Barry thought that all land was holy until we rendered it otherwise. I love that. But in light of our parable, and even more in the shadow of the cross, we might say the same thing in a different way. Perhaps land can be both sacred and desecrated at the same time. The intersection is the truth of the cross, that the holiness of God intersects with the sins that divide us. And the reason that intersection takes place is God's love. A lot of thought should be given by each one of us as to what that means in our own individual lives when we answer Christ's call to take up the cross and follow him, when it comes to the fissures that are within us and among us in our homes and our communities in this town of Roanoke. But on this day when we ordain and install elders to lead this church, we might also think together what it means to be the body of Christ that is called to take up the cross. How can we even more embrace each other within the church as the father embraces the son, loving each other despite our flaws? How can we then have the eyes of the mother in looking past the church walls at the divides in the world that need to be bridged? How can we show the world the vertical love that embraces us and the horizontal love that is working to heal divides? How can we be our own chapel of the prodigal that can give thanks for what we now have, for the love of God that is already ours and do the work of love at the same time? In short, how can we be the church that lifts high the cross, that celebrates a vertical love that is unconditional and a horizontal love that reconciles? It'll be the responsibility of our session to regularly ask those questions in leading us as a body. But it's our shared responsibility to answer those questions and how we worship and witness together. Second Presbyterian, Finding Direction by Following Jesus.